Hello, this is You Should Watch This. My name is Ed Heim and I'm talking to Simon Fowler. Hello, this is me, Simon Fowler. Simon, I've got a film for you this week, as I always have. And this time I've gone for something a bit lighter, a bit more fun. <laughs> We've got the feedback. I'm pitching to you my favourite Will Ferrell movie. Oh, my word. Uh, and I, I know you've seen quite a few. Oh, quite a few. So I'm hoping this one is not on your radar. The film I'm pitching to you this week is 2010's The Other Guys, directed by Adam McKay. I'm ashamed to say that I have not seen The Other Guys. Well, you are in for a treat. It's that rare beast. It's a comedy that is actually about something. In this case, white-collar crime and the messed-up financial system we're all living in. I think it's a totally brilliant hybrid of these two things. Not everyone agreed when it came out, so let's see what you think. I can't wait to watch it. Well, you can't tell by the way I roll Shorty that I'm a ladies man A businessman Condos down the shore My TV and pension plan But it ain't in my plan To make moves without the fan No, can't do it in town Real tough Okay, Simon, you wow. have just watched the other... I can see you're smiling. <laughs> you must be happy. I am I'm extremely happy, and I am happy to be able to talk about this film. I thought it was great. It brought to mind so many of the Buddy Cop movies. Obviously, oh, this guy's so like that, but the other guy, you know, yeah. they're going to be forced to work together, but it's all going to turn out well in the end. To briefly outline the plot, this is, as Simon said, mismatched cops in New York City, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, who accidentally stumble upon a case involving a banker and billions of dollars that may or may not be one of the biggest crimes in American history. And can they catch him? Uh, and are they capable of working together to do this? When one of them doesn't understand financial law or even how the financial system works, and the other one is too timid to be a cop at all, basically. And you have Mark Wahlberg's character who probably doesn't even equate this as being a crime a police officer should go out and solve it's like why are you doing this we should be busting bad guys on the streets we should be busting coke deals not going after people in suits not filing their correct paperwork i mean that's probably a good way in to talk about what the title means right yeah in new york city there's a fine line between law and chaos on that line live dancing and highsmith so the film opens not with our main characters, but with Samuel L. Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson making his... Is this his second appearance on You Should Watch This? Yes, he was in Southland Tales. Yeah, well, is he, he is Southland Tales. He is Southland Tales. I mean, this is a different film. Anyway, I'm just glad we've got him back. <laughs> I know, he needs. Back. I mean, Friend of the show. When, yeah, exactly. Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock are dancing in Highsmith, who are just careening through New York in a high-speed car chase... Guns blazing, no regard for passers-by, no regard for collateral damage. They're basically the lead characters that you would find in kind of any 80s buddy cop movie. But we soon realise that the film is not about these guys, it's about the guys on the desk down the hall to them who are not the alpha cops, not the loudest voices, not the brashest guys who are going out with Kim Kardashian and, and like wrecking cars. We couldn't do our job if it weren't for you guys doing all the paperwork, answering the phones, all that stupid shit that we don't like to do. Thank you. And we do it again and again. Hey, 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 you shut your face. If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet. You hear me? You hear me? We've got Will Ferrell, who is a self-described accountant for law and order. A forensic accountant, I think he yeah. describes himself as. Everyone else in the office hates him. No one takes him seriously. I don't think he's ever been out on the beat. He's called Paper Bitch. That's his nickname in the office. Paper Bitch. <laughs> And he is partnered up with Mark Wahlberg in what is a totally brilliant chemistry between yeah. these two guys, it has to be said. But Mark Wahlberg's character is kind of more of your classic 
cop that you well, would imagine. Well, he wants to be, right? He, he aspires to be the Samuel Jackson, Dwayne yeah. Johnson kind of guy. But he's made one fatal error in his career path. And he shot Derek Jeter. I'm Derek Jeter, you shot me. You cost me 20 grand on that game. Douchebag. Cost the city a championship. Who is, for those of you that don't follow baseball, is or was a baseball player. Yeah. That, and that's the limit one. of my ability yeah, yeah. to explain who Derek Jeter is. It was a bad thing that he did that. The sport, because you then... And, and for New York, specifically, yeah. I think. But anyway. how many baskets did he get for the Yankees? <laughs> But I do like the the setup is like how can you make sure this guy is totally loathed by everyone wherever he goes yeah. in like a city like New York where I know they have other baseball teams and yeah. whatever but to shoot their biggest sporting star yeah and and also what this tells us this is that he's like a super angry super suspicious guy who has no impulse control and will fly off the yeah. handle so if he sees someone in a corridor he will shoot them in the leg without checking to see if, if they're allowed to yeah. be there I love the switch in focus from. Dancing and Highsmith. Dancing and Highsmith, because we do think we're getting this first film, and then there's just... Is it too much to say it's an iconic scene of those guys jumping off a building? Hey, you monkeys! Stop! Look up! We're at the top of the building, the bad guys are down there, we're going to go do it. And then the drumming from the Foo Fighters, There Goes My Hero. Yeah, they get up onto the roof. You see how the huge vista, the music comes in, and then they run to the edge, see the baddies escaping, look down. You thinking what I'm thinking, partner? Aim for the bushes. And they jump off. You're like, oh, okay, so that isn't the movie. Oh, it's this. This is what the movie's about, and it's like, no. It is iconic, that scene as well, yeah. because that was when I suddenly was like, I've not seen this before. <laughs> no, well, what? they killed the guys. Oh, right. I've the... just watched them fall to their deaths. So what happens is Danson and Highsmith, in pursuit of some jewellery store robbers, apparently, jump to their deaths. And that happens about 10 minutes into the movie and kind of sets up the question which is going to go under everything in this film, which is now that New York's hero cops are dead, who are going to be the new hero cops in New York? Is it going to be R2 dudes that step up and take their place? Mark Wahlberg's character desperately wants it to be them, but he cannot stand working with Will Ferrell. If we were in the wild, I would attack you. Even if you weren't in my food chain, I would go out of my way to attack you. Mark Wahlberg is so indignant about Will Ferrell's character, but Will Ferrell's character is such a pencil pusher and is quiet, just giving these sort of smarmy, quiet retorts. You don't often get to see him be the straight guy in the combo, yeah. which he is in this, and he's yeah. really brilliant at yeah, it. Yeah. What you could characterise a lot of Will Ferrell's later stuff by is him shouting. Normally it's just like a race to who can be most shrill, and he, do yeah. and he does this occasionally, like with the brilliant big boy pants scene yeah. in this film, but mostly he's playing it down because he's so, he's so bitter and he's so sort of quiet. Stop humming that song! I can hum if I want to. No, I know you can. I'm asking you to stop. Well, if you're asking, then I'll stop. Thank you. This film is directed by Adam McKay, and it marks, for my money, the sort of high watermark of the relationship between Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Adam McKay and Will Ferrell were hired on Saturday Night Live on the same day, and obviously Will Ferrell went on to become pretty much the biggest star on Saturday Night Live in the late 90s, and Adam McKay went on to be the lead writer on that show. And once they left that show, they preserved their working relationship and set up, most obviously, Funny or Die, the website, that was their baby. 
which has spawned so much. Which is now enormous and spawned so many little shows and skits. They also set up Gary Sanchez Productions, which has made just a ton of brilliant movies, always comedy, a lot of Will Ferrell movies, but a lot of Melissa McCarthy movies, a lot of great TV shows, for example, Eastbound and Down, Succession right now. Apart from the fact that they've been working together pretty much constantly making stuff, they've also been execing and producing other people's shows together. Sadly, in early 2019, they announced they're winding that down. They're not going to be working together. I mean, it all appears very amicable, but they're pursuing different directions, which is interesting when you when you look at their career and you look at specifically at Adam McKay's career as a director, which I think we'll get to. So the movies these guys made together, the big one, Anchorman, directed by Adam McKay, starring Will Ferrell, written by both of them. They followed that with Talladega Nights, pretty great as well. Will Ferrell is a NASCAR driver. Yeah, I mean, if you don't Would like you... that, then, then don't watch the film, because exactly. that's what it is. Step Brothers, yeah. fantastic, totally brilliant. It's got my, my most favourite gifable moment in any film, which is... Um, <laughs> Adam Scott performing Vanilla Ice at a school talent show. Yeah. It's absolute gold. <laughs> you would say these are classic Will Ferrell out-and-out comedies. And following them was this film, The Other Guys, which you suddenly got a hint of, OK, this is a comedy, but there's these killer action sequences and there's a, a very real commentary on the world we live in at play in this film as well. There's, there's some quite adult ideas and kind of a polemic even that you just don't normally get in big mainstream films. Mm. And that was kind of a precursor to where Adam McKay's career as a director was going because what he's most famous for now is his most recent two films, which are The Big Short, which was not starring Will Ferrell, which was about the guys who basically bet on the financial crash happening, and most recently Vice, which was, uh, I think, won the Oscar for Best Screenplay or Best Adapted Screenplay, starring Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. Like, the difference between Talladega Nights and Vice, <laughs> I mean, they're both ostensibly comedies, but yeah. Vice is like a legit piece of commentary about a key political figure. And I think what's interesting about the other guys is it straddles these two halves of the career. I mean, actually, Anchorman 2 came after this and kind of ruins yeah. my pet theory. Let's but just I, pretend that I'm But if you think about the method and how you set these films up, for Talladega Nights, the actual pitch they had to movie executives was just Will Ferrell is a NASCAR driver. And they were like, yeah, that's, that sounds like something funny and something that we would want to make. Anchorman was just like, 70s newscasters seems yeah. like something funny we can do and we can get funny people involved, etc. Yeah. The way this film comes about, you see it now, and especially with that credit sequence, it explains how a Ponzi scheme works and like about you know the corporate bailout that happened and what where that money had actually gone and you know the discrepancies between executive and regular people's pay in, in across time, all that stuff. And you feel like, okay, they made this because they had a, a sort of quite serious point they wanted to make about the world. But in interviews, Adam McKay talked about the genesis of this film just being a dinner that he was at with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg and seeing how they bounced off each other and going, I've got to get these guys in a movie together somehow, and then thinking, well, wouldn't it be funny if they were cops in New York that were, that were always overlooked? He realised quite early on that there was going to be a cop buddy movie, and he said, really, the only good cop buddy movie in the last ten years is Hot Fuzz, I would say. I can't think of any others. So all of a sudden we were like, oh, my God, we're making a cop buddy film. And we actually tried as hard as we could not to have it be a spoof. But just by virtue of it being a cop buddy film, it is a spoof. It's like doing a comedy that's a Western. Mm. Immediately, it's a spoof, even though you're doing everything different or trying to change things. You know you have to hit certain beats. That's just the way it goes. So we kind of knew that. We said, all right, it's going to be a cop buddy film. Let's do our darndest to make it as original and as funny as we can. Probably we'll fail in some cases, and then it will be a spoof. That's how we got into it. He doesn't really have a political 
angle is just how does he do it without it making like other movies that have gone before. He also said, I didn't think you could do the movie if it was about kidnapping or diamond smuggling. I thought then you'd be full out spoof. I felt the only crime that has any stakes or jeopardy to do now is a white collar crime. That's where all the damage is being done. So it is my hope that, okay, the buddy cop genre is dead, but maybe with this new crime. And the challenge of the movie was, can we make white collar crime exciting? I don't think we fully succeeded. There's a couple of parts where it plays a little dry and I was like, oh, I wish I'd done it a little better. And the fact that it's a computer transfer at the end, but the truth of it is, that's kind of what white collar crime yeah. is. So his way into it actually seems sort of quite process driven yeah. rather than polemic driven. Yeah. I can't remember which one of Michael Moore's documentaries it is, but he talks about exactly that. It's like, how can we make people think of white collar crime like any other kind of crime, like a murder or something? And I think it, at one point he even suggests is like you could do a version of that show Cops like really raw footage of people yeah. getting hunted down and you know you go you break into some office and you push someone down over their yeah. desk and it's the, the the cops theme and it's like we can't comprehend the scale of these crimes and i'm sure they would have had real difficulty in translating it into a film they did a good job of just how much these people are screwing us all yeah looks like we're going to jersey to visit an accounting firm that's a shitty day you can kind of see the sort of absence of representation there because Buddy Cop is a huge genre, right? Just off the top of my head, I can say Hot Fuzz, The Heat, Midnight Run, 48 Hours, Point Break, The Nice Guys. There's a million of these, yeah. right? But how many movies can you name about white-collar crime? The only movies I can really think of that have addressed white-collar crime properly in the last few years, which has been like one of the high points of white-collar financial crime in human history. Margin Call, do you know this one? Nope. Pretty great. Uh, this film, The Big Short, also by Adam McKay. Blue Jasmine comes at it. The Wolf of Wall Street, I suppose, although yeah. it's set in the 80s. And is that really commentary? You, no like, one is getting vilified in that. It's a difficult subject to dramatise because it's seen as inherently boring in a way that, like, yeah, diamond smuggling and kidnapping isn't. This is why I think this film is so clever. It finds a way to take those intangible things and makes them really personal. Detective Alan Gamble, we are in a cocaine-covered car and we are bringing in a perp. One David Urshan. 175 pounds. 100, thank you. 100. Shut up, man, shut up! They pick up the Steve Coogan character, who is kind of the film's baddie, I suppose, yeah. even though he's, sort of, he's playing it for laughs constantly. They pick him up. He's part of one of Alan's sort of pet prosecutions, which is a scaffolding violation. Yeah. Uh, so they arrest him for that without realising that they've got this guy who's actually caught up in this huge financial scam. And almost as soon as they get him into custody, their car is rammed and he is abducted from them by the security team that are employed by someone he owes money to, Anne Hesh, to make sure he gets her money back. That's my car! Hey, 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 we didn't exchange! Insurance information! Hey, excuse me! From that moment in, they know that there's something big going on. There's some big conspiracy with some powerful people because they're the police and they've just had someone taken out of their custody. And not only that, as soon as they speak to their boss about it, they find out that he is on the side of the people that stole Steve Coogan from their custody. Yeah. So not only are we talking about powerful people with boots on the ground, we're talking about high-level corruption. So suddenly, it feels very tangible especially for the Mark Wahlberg character who like will take any slight as like a huge personal insult. So he's suddenly really angry. And that's one of the things I like about this film. We all know how these buddy cop movies or any buddy movie works really. It's funny because they rub up against each other the wrong way. But by the end of the movie, they will have learnt a bit about each other. 
each one will have adopted a bit of the other's characteristics and yeah. that is going to be how they save the day. That's how they grow personally and how they kind of together become a functional human being. And in the middle of this film is the question, if the real crime being perpetrated is white collar crime, who are the cops that we need now to fight this crime? Because if the crime isn't diamond heists and kidnapping and Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock are useless, who are the people we need today? What this film suggests is we need someone who gives a shit about the minutiae of financial law and can go over everything with a fine tooth comb like Will Ferrell and we need someone who is really, really angry and will chase everything down like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Which I think is kind of hard to disagree with. That yeah. is exactly what we need right now. We need the end of apathy. We need to be not scared of mumbo-jumbo and we need to trust the fact that we're angry and we deserve recompense for what they've done to us. But also it works on a comedic level because you have someone very meticulous and you have someone very angry at uh, everything that that person's doing. Let's go do some damage. They just get in um, Will Ferrell's car and he puts on little river bands. Oh, beautiful. What <laughs> <laughs> the hell is that? LRB, little river band. This music makes me feel like I'm going shopping for a training bra. You know what? We go with no music, okay? And he just gets so angry at whatever. Throws the CD out and he's like, oh, don't worry, I've got a load of them. I always have a load of LRB in my thing. Poor little rhythm bands, but you know. Yeah. Um, well, they, they, they do a right out of this film. Yeah, I'm I think. sure they do. I hadn't heard of them beforehand, put it that way. Another exclusive benefit of the Liftoff Network membership is production support, a tailored package that provides you with first-hand guidance and assistance from the conception to production stages of your project, including supplying you with top-of-the-range industry equipment. Go to liftoff.network and begin your industry journey. I think it's probably worth talking a little bit about the context of this film because we're all living in it now, so it's kind of hard to isolate. But this film came out in 2010, so we're talking two years after the big financial crash and the enormous bailouts that happened here and in America. They had the TARP bailout, which was basically presented as the only possible solution to this sort of corporate mismanagement of lots of things, but um, of subprime loans chiefly in America, uh, and making public of private debt so that these companies would be allowed to function so not only did we have unregulated markets causing economic chaos, but we then had the public footing the bill for this. And so far, in the UK, I think there's been one prosecution, and that guy was very clearly just made a fool guy for an entire culture. So this film landed at a time when these things were absolutely tangible and, yeah. and had to be discussed. But the problem with discussing these things is they're kind of hard to understand, and a lot of money is spent on jargon and making us feel like we shouldn't be able to understand these yeah. things because that's how that power system operates, by us being bored by it and by us feeling intimidated by the language around it. This is also the post-Bernie Madoff time. He ran yeah. pyramid schemes, which they explained brilliantly in the final yeah. credits with Reggie Against the Machine playing, covering a Bob Dylan tune. I mean, what? What? It's not to like. Yeah, brilliant. But uh, he ran Ponzi schemes, including lots of Hollywood people. And that forced a lot of great actors back into working <laughs> because they lost all their money. Same. I'm not sure John Malkovich sees it as no. the good thing that you do. Well, I mean, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> Who doesn't like John Malkovich? 
I'm not sure that's the question. I think he's, does John Malkovich like red and red too? <laughs> I quite he like likes not being in the red. Yeah, there we go. There so, go. Um, are we laughing at? No, 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 no that's no. bad manners. No. We're talking about white collar crime and like making that a subject of your comedy mm. film and why that's difficult. And they kind of address that in the film because the Terry Hoyt's character, played by Mark Wahlberg, says several times, "No one cares. Yeah, no one cares about this crime. Why are you bothered by this?" And the great twist on this is right towards the end where they know that the Steve Coogan character has found a new sucker to offload his debt onto and they're going in to crash this meeting and Will Ferrell goes, I wonder who the sucker is he's found and the Mark Wahlberg character says, who cares, some rich prick and they get in there and they find it's not some rich prick, it's not some faceless corporation, it's the NYPD pensions fund. Bob, what are you doing here? I'm investing. Where are the suckers? They're targeting the police pension fund. It's their own pensions that are going to be destroyed, which is what we saw happen when the financial crash and with Bernie Madoff as well. They keep chasing the Steve Coogan character as a private security team is simultaneously keeping tabs on them and trying to keep them away from Steve Coogan. And I think this is a good time to talk about Steve Coogan. I implore you, please, do not stop profiting. Live for excess. It's the American way. To British audiences, very familiar from Alan Partridge. Was he Alan Partridge? I've seen a lot of American comedies in which he pops up and never quite seems to be in the same film as the people around him. Yeah. And I think this film is kind of no exception to that. It's not a huge lot of depth for that character. But when you look look at him in, like, The Trip, which I love, and those smaller British things, Mm. you go, this guy's a brilliant, nuanced comedian who sort of finds that joy and specificity in really sort of tiny things. And you see him in this film, I suppose he's aware that he's in this mega million budget Hollywood movie, but it seems like broad and large. Yeah. Like there's some absolutely brilliant performances in this film, like Mark Wahlberg, for example. You know what's worse? The way you fight, even your fights, they're not manly. You're being ridiculous. They sound like a baby blowing out the candles on a birthday cake. What? Like a little... Had he made Ted before this? Outside of Boogie Nights... He was in Three Kings. He's in I Heart Huckabees, which is one of my favourite movies. And he's really funny in that, playing a similar character to this. His clown is like the live wire, I'm constantly angry guy, isn't yeah. he? That's and that maybe is his shtick in these kind of comedy films. I want you guys to hand in all the evidence you think you have to the SEC. Don't you get it? This case is talking to us. I'm a peacock, Captain. You've got to let me fly on this one. Before Boogie Nights, what could we have... Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? Exactly. I used to work for a manager who used to play Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch on a Monday morning when he wanted us to get psyched for the day. No longer work there? Wonder well, why. it was like semi-ironic, but like you can only do it ironically once until it is like you've chosen this shit again and I've got to listen to it. I'm tired of this, right? I'm tired of explosions and people pointing guns at me. I want to go back to my desk. Mismatched with Will Ferrell as we said, playing sort of quieter than he normally would. My love for Will Ferrell goes deep. Right. Goes way back. Okay. Zoolander, he played Mugatu because Andy Dick, for whatever reason, couldn't play the parts. That's who Ben Stiller had lined up for it. I shall just think what he was doing instead. In comes Will Ferrell, owns that movie. From Will Ferrell's background in Saturday Night Live, he's an improv guy. That's exactly what they're doing in this film as well. My overriding 
feelings about why I love Will Ferrell so much come from two things. I implore everyone listening, look this up on YouTube. It's number one, The Genius of Will Ferrell, which is a selection of outtakes he did whilst on set for Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, the Kevin Smith film about Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. Um, Who does he play in that film? I can't remember. He just plays a cop. Is that, that's the Arthur. same one that's got Gus Van Sant counting his money while they're filming like yes. the sequel to Good Will Hunting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Will Ferrell does a selection of times where he's calling in a crime on his phone or something like this as a police officer and he just does like eight takes in a row of hilarious, improvised, you know, slightly different each time. That is amazing. And number two is to look up Will Ferrell's audition for Saturday Night Live. It's him on the Saturday Night Live stage doing three sketches with just him, some props, and they're absolutely incredible. But uh, yeah, it was a t Anybody want a burger? Who wants a burger? These are just about... Just about done here. Get off the goddamn shed! Off the shed! We got hot dogs too, if you want. Yeah, who wants, anybody want a hot dog? Or you don't eat pork, do you? Yeah. Tina Fey was head writer on Saturday Night Live, and she said, the reason you've got to love Will Ferrell so much is that he will be 100% committed to any scene that you do with him. Even if it's the worst sketch in the world, he will give his absolute all to it. And that is perhaps why he's Biggest comedy star in the he world? Is. I think that's fair like to his, say. Yeah. I mean, who's bigger than him right now? I feel like he's the Don, really, isn't he? I mean, I think his star has waned somewhat. Yeah. I mean, Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home too. Yeah. Okay, so also in this film, we've got Danson Highsmith, played by Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock, having a lot of fun by the look of it, getting a paycheck and like doing some great stunts. Probably five days. Yeah. Ah, in, New in New York in the summer, they must have had a great time. Who else have we got? Michael Keaton playing Captain Gene. We're not smart, Captain Gene. It's just Captain. It's just Captain. It's not Captain Gene. I don't have a kiddie show. It sounds creepy, Captain Gene. Just, just Captain. Captain. Yeah. Michael Keaton, incredible comedy actor as well, yeah, you think? Really. The early part of his career when he was doing <clears throat> Night Shift, have you ever seen that with him and Henry right. Winkler? Oh, wow. That's a way, way back. Mr. Mom, which was an early John Hughes film. Right. Because in 1982, the idea of a dad staying at home to look after the kids was, we need to make a movie out of this yeah. madness. One of the most iconic comedy performances of the 1980s, Beetlejuice. And then the transition to him being Tim Burton's Batman. I don't think you can really draw a straight line from any of, of those to go. Films. Is he a comedian or is he, is he a serious actor? Because he's sort of done quite a bit of both throughout his career. Yeah. And, it, and in this, he's got kind of the most by-the-book role in the whole thing he's like the gruff captain right yeah. he's like he's like the he's one that you expect to see in the buddy cop movie going exactly. you guys you got to drop this case guys but he brings a very weird energy to yeah. it that is like really fun do me a favor don't go chasing waterfalls is that accidental or are you trying to quote tlc on purpose i don't even <laughs> understand the reference Constantly referencing TLC songs. Yeah. Totally brilliant running gag. I'm not completely aware of the entire back catalogue of TLC. That was a bit over my head, to be right. honest. Michael Keaton, his real name is... I don't know. Michael Douglas. Really? And he had to change his name because there was already a Michael Douglas in the Screen Actors Guild. Michael Douglas. <laughs> his father, Kirk Douglas, wasn't even called Kirk Douglas. That was just a name he invented for himself. Outrageous. So Michael Keaton chose the name <laughs> Keaton because he was a big fan of Diane Keaton. Really? Not Buster? Nope. Diane. All right. That's made me like him a lot more. There you go. And I liked him a lot. Already. Yeah. The one thing that I have to, I have to talk about, Bed Bath & Beyond. We had a big day out there. Big one. 
got a full moon, people are gonna be amped. All right, let's see what we got on hot tips, all right? Whoa, the new bath mats are in. Not only is that scene really funny, but also this is like, I think what sets this film apart is that it goes, this is the reality. Like it's a comedy, but it's in reality. Cops have to work two jobs. Even if you're the sergeant, you're the reality of being in New York is you need, to, you need to have a side hustle. Most films wouldn't go near that and, or wouldn't even know to include that in there. Steve Coogan, we've discussed a little bit. Anne Hesch is in this film. Anne Hesch. David, you're not returning my call, so I'd like you to meet Roger Wesley. Roger and his team are going to babysit you because I don't trust you because I think you're going to take off. I love Anne Hesch. She's uncredited for some reason. Sounds like something went wrong. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. You know, she doesn't have a huge amount to do, but she does it very well, I would say. Eva Mendes. Incredible. I, I had not seen her play sort of straight-up comedy until I saw this, and she's fantastic. Those scenes, the dinner scenes, oh. they're just like... It's just pure gold. I mean, the Will Ferrell line when he's setting up... And let me apologise in advance, OK, in case my wife acts like a world-class bitch. She's a big old broad, and she... <laughs> she likes to wield it. And you're just like, oh, okay. And then she comes out in that dress. Yeah. And then and Mark, Mark Wahlberg just, no, who is that, really? No, who is that? It's my wife. And one of the all-time great meet-cute stories, she's like, oh, it's just a casual story. I was a dancer for the Knicks, paying my way to medical school. And one evening in the emergency ward, this guy gets brought in with poison ivy up his anus. <laughs> Needless to say, I fell for him immediately. It's funny, it's like, it's like a scene from that one movie, mm -hmm. always forget the name of it, uh, with Meg Ryan. Yes. I don't remember a movie where Meg Ryan meets a guy with poison ivy up his ass. I'll think of it. Okay. I'll think of it. Meet Keats. Yeah. Have you heard of that? The Meet Cute is like, that's your sort of classic, oh, we bumped heads yeah. reaching for the same book in the bookshop. I or... spilled coffee onto her in Notting Hill. Oh, this is your suitcase? I thought it was mine. All that shit. That is a good Meet Cute. Ah, oh, she's got mail. That's the name of the movie. That's it! Oh. Honey. But Tom Hanks? Mm -hmm. Right, and Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. He didn't have poison ivy up his ass. Oh, yes, he yes, did. He did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Way yeah. up there. And the entire backstory about Will Ferrell being a pimp. So that's my one bit with this film. Where you like, don't like that? Yeah, I don't get it. I'm like, <laughs> what is it about? Maybe I, like that's something I don't find funny, I suppose. I sort of go, is being a pimp funny? And I go, given that this film is so interested in the exploitation of human beings by systems, is there some commentary? I'm going to assume there is some commentary here, because I think the twin themes of this film are like, what does it take to be a hero now? What do we need as the hero cop? And what does it take to be a good man now? Because this also looks at masculinity, I think, in a very interesting way, in terms of like the performance of masculinity and like in the way that Will Ferrell is completely demeaned and like looked down upon in the whole office because he drives a Prius, because he doesn't want to get yeah. out from his car, he doesn't want to get out from his He's desk. He's never fired his gun on duty. Yeah. Or so they make the him office, have a desk pop. Have a desk pop, great. You've never fired your weapon in the office. We all have, you know. It's called a desk pop. Fellas, look, I, I know you don't respect me as a police officer. Not true. Pop one off. There you go, pop it off. Don't think, just don't go. Think. Here we go. Do it, yes. In fact, he gets the job done. In fact, he's the new guy that we need. He's the new way to be a man, and that Prius, gets shot full of holes, and it, but it gets him through that crazy third act. So I wonder if there's some commentary about, like, unfettered capitalism, unregulated no. markets, what you become as a person. No. I hope there's something like that going on, because there's otherwise not. I just don't find it that funny. Pimps don't cry. That, I mean, that's a funny song. That's, that's great. And worth sitting through the credits for, I mean, apart from the Ponzi scheme stuff, the full version of that song. Is plays, there a full version? Yeah, it plays right at the end of the credits. It's brilliant. OK. Pimps don't cry. 
CeeLo Green and Eva Mendes singing that song. I feel like there must have been a certain amount of, well, what if he was a pimp? And working around that and improvising around but that. I think there is also a metaphor about why markets need regulation <laughs> and why people need regulation and what you become if you lose any moral compass and guiding principle and oversight. Just let me have this. I'm, you, you, are, you can have it, it's yours. Still to this day, there are things you tell me and you go, I didn't like it because of that. And I'm like, really? Oh. I don't know Ed as well as I thought I know Ed. And now I'm learning more about you. And hopefully this will mean that when I come to recommend you films, it's going to be banger after banger. Other people in this, there's a lot of great cameos in this film. One of my favourite actors, Bobby Cannavale, is in it, who plays Jimmy. He tosses me down a Mossberg pump. I send one through his chest. Game over, bitches. <laughs> Who's just kind of a dude in the office, but who just lends anything he's in as like a proper New York authenticity. He's in The Station Agent. He's in The Station Agent, yeah. He's yeah, in a lot of Tom film. McCarthy films. Yeah. He's the big baddie in season three of Boardwalk Empire. And he's a wonderful stage actor. He plays Jimmy. Uh, there's a slightly longer version of this called, I think it's called The Unrated Cut, in which he has a bit more chance to shine. He's got some really funny lines that get chopped out in the theatrical version. So if you really love Bobby Cannavale, you should probably try and find the longer cut because he gets a bit more to do in that. Rob Hubel is in it, who is in Children's Hospital and Transparent. He plays the guy who returns the car to them and describes the soup kitchen that has happened oh, in this car. Oh, yes. Yeah. From bodily fluid and hair samples, we determined that a bunch of old homeless dudes had an orgy in the car. It's called a soup kitchen. It's pretty rough stuff. Okay, so what do you feel about the soup kitchen stuff and Dirty well, Mike? And can you boys? tell me who plays Dirty Mike? Adam McKay. Oh, damn it. You and your research. I thought I was going to blow your mind. Yeah. You turned my beautiful Brias into a nightmare. We are going to have sex in your car. It will happen again. I think it's the thrill of defiling the car, yeah. isn't it? That's it. And the car does get a lot of defiling yeah. <laughs> throughout that film. It, it gets ruined, loses the door, gets covered in bullet holes. It's covered in cocaine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. There's a great little side shot of one of the security forces. Yeah, guys just like getting his finger on yeah. it, putting it on his gums. Ice-T does the voice over. Ice-T. He's having fun. Everyone's having fun. Considering he pays the bills by being in Law & Order, S New Orleans? York. Yeah. Or used to, anyway. That's kind of good casting. Terry's girlfriend, Francine, played by Lindsay Sloan. She's really good. She's got very little to do, actually, in the, in the theatrical cut, but she's pretty great. And that scene gives a really brilliant window into Terry Hoyts, the, the enigma that is Terry yeah. Hoyts, who uh, is incredibly suspicious and is prepared to yes. sort of read the worst into anything he's presented with. I love you, Francine. If you were with me, you wouldn't be here in this strip club shaking it for dollar bills. This is a ballet studio, Terry. But also, he... He's excellent at ballet. Uh, <laughs> that he sort of learnt out of spite. Yeah, he learnt it to make fun of the fairies in his neighbourhood, I think he says. <laughs> to which Will Ferrell then says... You learned to dance like that sarcastically? Yeah, I guess. I just think there's something really nice about blokes in there. There's a deleted scene where he's at an art show and he's like, you he realise he's really good at interpreting and talking about art. But he learned to do that ironically as well. He's actually got all these passions and interests, but given what he's allowed to demonstrate interest in as a, as a man and as a policeman, it's quite limited. So he has to like phrase it as, I only do this to take the piss. Whereas the Will Ferrell character has no problem exploring yeah. his various interests. He sings in a completely bizarre Irish folk song band with... Yeah. Baffling lyrics that are quite funny. Yeah. And all their fathers were hanged, 
And the children all got pink eyes While their fairy books were burned He likes editing films. Last week he just took... <laughs> Three minutes out of Goodfellas. That so. is one of my favourite lines of the whole movie. It's just <laughs> dropped in. <laughs> He's a man of many diverse interests. Exactly. It works as a movie. Even if it wasn't funny, the plot is interesting and it works. I'm not saying it would be the greatest thriller of all time, but that thriller plot does work. And as a sort of action movie, the stunts yeah. are really good in this film in a way that you don't expect to see in a comedy film. I mean, that whole third act is just a huge, brilliant chase scene and gun battle through New York. There's that fantastic shootout with the white stripes in the office where Terry is like skidding backwards on the table shooting his gun. And I think a lot of that is due to the director of photography on this. He's a guy called Oliver Wood. Before this, he had shot all the Bourne movies and he'd also shot Face Off for John Wood. Oh, wow. So they went out and got a DLP who like, knows his saying. onions action-wise. Yeah. And you can really feel that because it's shot on film. Yeah. It looks great, this movie. And like those sequences are legit. They totally stand up. You do feel that a lot of Will Ferrell films have just been, we'll let the camera roll for as long as possible and then we will carve out whatever we can and yeah. it will be funny. And it may not join together or make any sense. But yeah, I think you're totally right. It works as a film. You're not just saying, oh, that made no sense, but there were some laughs in it at the end. Yeah. Just like random bits I yeah. like in this film. I mean, it's full of them. It's just packed yeah. full of like little lines. You can go back to the well again and again, yeah. and there's things you're not picking up. Oh, this is one of the films, if I'm at a low ebb and I need cheering up, this is the movie I put on. It's like this or Dirty Dancing for me. Dirty Dancing, literally, and you're doing oh, yeah. the sort of the pick-me-up <laughs> I'm in that lake with them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the music he puts on, I think there's a really nice through line with that little river band that he keeps playing. Always got a bit of LRB. <laughs> But then in the third act, when they go driving, when they know that they're going to be chased through town, he puts on something different. And we know that Mark Wahlberg's put on some like metal in there, and, and Alan puts on his like bold music choice, and it's Mamas in the Puppers. <laughs> but it's actually really good. It's actually brilliant. That's his version of that. And it's like he's changed a little bit, but he's still himself. That's the bit I really love. Soda pop. He's got to think of a reason to get the guy to not jump off the roof. And the best thing he can think of is nice can of soda pop. <laughs> get him, I'll kick his ass, man. Yeah, how do you like that? That's my death. Did you like the quiet fight? The quiet fight. <laughs> the best bit of that is not the actual fight, which is brilliant, but it's Michael Keaton telling them off. What the hell's going on here? Two good men are dead. You guys are fighting. Over who's going to be the next hot shot, huh? Is that what's happening? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. That shouting at them, but, but whispering. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Pure gold. Oh, that brilliant shot when they go out drinking. Because that really captures what it sort of feels like to be drunk, which films are rarely able to do, right? I mean, I don't even know how they did that shot. It's almost like Matrix-style yeah. bullet time that you but, can move But as around. they move through the room, they also yeah. move through time, except you don't ever see that. Someone had a really great idea. 
that's an attention to detail and a willingness to give spectacle that you just don't have in comedy movies. There's only one other film I can think of which does drunk well. Mean Streets, the Martin Scorsese film, what he does is he puts a camera on the front of Harvey Keitel. Oh, it's like so, a reverse So, so it's like, yeah, like pointed at his face. Yeah. So as he gets more and more drunk, like a ship, he's going from side to right. side. The camera's going that as well, pouring drinks on yourself. The grandmother go-between. That is so good. Just getting the grandmother to say the most filthy stuff. He said he'll always love you. Oh. He also says that he wants you to stare into each other's eyes without blinking while you do it. I love when we do that. <laughs> they must yeah. have been pissing themselves making that. Female body inspector mug. Hey, I got your gift. FBI. Female body inspector. Uh, they just stay in that scene for like two minutes too long and it's just, it's brilliant of him explaining the joke over and over. It's so good. Do you understand what's so funny about it though? At first glance you're like, oh, it's just in a mug that says FBI. But then at second glance you're like, F female body inspector, get out of town. This is outrageous. Shut up! I think, you know, one of my favourite things to do in the world is if I've made an unfunny joke is to then go on and explain it. And it, to really down. to really irritate people, but it makes me laugh so much. I know that's a really horrible thing, but yeah. I just find it so funny. Rob Riggle, he's the sort of douchey cop. You've got Rob Riggle and Damon Wayans, yes. Wayans Jr. Yes, Rob Riggle. And they're like the guys that want to be want the to new be. heroes, and they're just that douchey, basically. Yeah. The one time you see them alone, he's got an absolute killer line. So that one happened. What do you think happened? I woke up, I took the belt off my neck, and I got in my car and I got out of there. Talk about a wild weekend, right? I thought I was going to have to shoot my way out. <laughs> what are you going to do, though, you know? Bar mitzvahs. What are you going to do? <laughs> Not only can you revisit, but it's also so good to just bring up, oh, do you remember that bit? Mm -hmm. It's like a hangout film that you can put on with people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and continue and watch, and the anticipation of those bits coming up yeah. is so funny. In terms of comedies that I love, it's like this... The Big Lebowski, together. I don't know if you'd necessarily call that a comedy, the Lucas Moodison movie. Those are my go-to laugh-out-loud comedy films. Mark Wahlberg not understanding what the Federal Reserve is. And when I come back and bust your ass, we're locking David Ershon in the Federal Reserve. He still didn't understand the concept. That's really, that's really good. I mean, that sort of goes to the heart of what the whole film is about. <laughs> All right, so... I'm glad you like that. Thank God. Because it's, it's weird with comedies. It's comedies hard, are but... so hard. You show something to someone and they're like, oh, I kind of liked it, but I didn't find it that funny. It's almost like you're going out there to say, this says something about me. Yeah. I thought we were understanding each other, but we're obviously not because we're not on the same wavelength for this. But this is why I think that like this film has more going on rather than just do you or I personally find it funny. That's why I would find difficult recommending a comedy to you because if you see it as like this piece of fluff that will just blow away. Yeah, I'd be a massive dickhead and I'd tell you to your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess this is the whole enterprise, isn't it? We're yeah. trying to find films which we each find worthy. We don't have to like it all the time. No. But each time we recommend something to each other, we learn more about each other's tastes. That's true. It's a great film right. and I loved it. Well, the question I have for you, Simon, is you take this great film yeah. and you need to put it with another great film for a double bill. Ooh. What would you put this up against? 
one part of me wants to put a ridiculous comedy film on and just think people are going to be having a good time, you want a double bill. But I'm swerving away from that and I'm staying instead in the buddy cop genre and going way, way back to 1991. Michael J. Fox, James Woods in The Hard Way about an actor who comes into work with a grizzled New York cop on the trail of a serial killer. I've never seen this. It's a totally ridiculous film, but it is really funny seeing all these sort of buddy cop tropes being sent up. Imagine Michael J. Fox trying to be method whilst simultaneously trying to solve a crime. LL Cool J's in it. It's very funny. It is a piece of fluff that will disappear in the wind, but I think it would pair like a fine wine very well with the cheese of the other guys. So you, you want that opening the bill? You've got to wait till everyone's had a few drinks in them yeah. to get to the other guys. And what about you? Well, I'm on a similar thing for you. I feel like it's got to be Buddy Cop. The one I'm going to go for is Freebie and the Bean, made in 1974, starring Alan Arkin and James Kahn. It's kind of a ridiculous cop movie set in San Francisco. It's very much a product of its time. There's a lot of very dubious politics in there now that you kind of wince as you watch. But at the same time, you can't help being swept along with the sort of speed and commitment that this film has. And it also has some absolutely brilliant action stunts in it. Some great car chases, which is why it reminds me of the other guys. Freebie Bean is interesting because it's a product of its time and it's actually quite, in many ways, right-wing and reactionary. And I think there's something inherent in the buddy cop movie that is quite right-wing and sort of kind of the product of its times. It tends to reflect the worst politics of its times as a genre. I don't know why that is, but we do see it again and again. But The Other Guys is kind of the only lefty cop buddy movie that I can think of. All right, well, if that doesn't recommend it to you... I know, what else will? I mean, you can just go and see one of the many other cop buddy movies that don't have a radical left agenda. Thank you for listening. You Should Watch This is hosted by Ed Heim and Simon Fowler, produced by David Craigie, Ed Heim and Simon Fowler. It's edited by David Craigie, who also creates the theme music. Be sure to rate and subscribe to You Should Watch This wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter on at WatchThisPod or find out more on YouShouldWatchThis.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Watch This with Ed and Simon, which was made with the Liftoff Network at www.liftoff.network. The Liftoff Network is a mini industry within the industry committed to promoting global indie film, connecting filmmakers from all around the world and enabling them access to unlimited opportunities through their network membership, including free submissions to all 11 city-based festivals and showcases, free tickets to all festivals, career roadmapping sessions and many more features. With resources and connections already established, Liftoff membership is the perfect bridge between filmmakers and the independent film industry. Through film market representation at a number of the industry's biggest film markets, including the American film market, top European film market Berlinale, and the Cannes Marche de Film, Liftoff's aim is to establish relationships between filmmakers and industry sales agents, enabling their work to be recognised and distributed. 